Ephesians chapter 5, where we've been studying. And we're going to have a continuation of what we kind of started on last week. And I'm just going to read the text again today that we read last week, beginning in chapter 5 and verse 19 there. It says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revel, revelries, and the like. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Our study these past couple weeks, we're talking about the works of the flesh. Now going back to our study generally of Galatians, is we want the theme we might see is the fact that Paul is having to deal with that, uh, the Judaizing teachers who's crept into the churches in Galatians that he helped establish, and they're trying to tell them, no, you still got to keep the old law. You are still under the law. You still have to be circumcised, right? Talked about that every week. That's the major theme. Paul is dealing with that. He's trying to rebuke that. He's trying to show the Christians and the churches in Galatia that we are not under the law anymore. We are under the law of liberty. We have freedom in Christ Jesus. When we become children of God, we become free. Free from the guilt of sin, free from the law, having to keep the law. Remember, the law is there for our benefit. It's our tutor. It's how we know what's right and wrong, right? But we no longer have to worry about keeping it because we can't keep it. It's not possible. And so now we have this freedom through the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed to forgive us of those sins. And continually does that as we walk with him. So he's rebuking that idea that we have to continue to be keeping the law. We're under the law. We have to be circumcised. No, those things foreshadowed what was to come. And that was our freedom in Christ Jesus. But then he goes on to say some things about that, right? He's, he's saying, you know, you have a freedom in Christ Jesus, but remember, there are still things you cannot be participating in. There are still things that can affect that freedom you have in Christ Jesus, right? There are works of the flesh. When you become a Christian, when you become a child of God, you are now, uh, you, you've received the Spirit. You are now in the Spirit. Your life should be focused on things above, things of the Spirit, not things of the flesh. And that's what he's doing here. He's reminding the churches in Galatia, the, the brethren, that these are the works of the flesh. And if you continue in these things, you will jeopardize your ability to receive your reward, receive that reward that you're going to have in the kingdom of heaven, right? So he's telling them, be aware of these. Later on, we'll get into it in a couple weeks, the fruit of the Spirit, the works of the Spirit, how that's going to contrast to the works of the flesh, right? And we talked about the fact that as Christians, last week we talked about with idolatry and so forth, you're going to worship something, right? In your life, you're going to have something that you idolize. Not necessarily some uh, concrete or marble sculpture that's sitting up here that we're going to idolize as our God, but you have things in your life that you put ahead of everything else, right? We idolize things. We worship things. That's what we're talking about. And if it's not God, it becomes a work of the flesh, right? If we're not putting God preeminent in our minds, preeminent in our hearts, then something else is going to take that place. It may be money. It may be our jobs. 
It may be sports or uh, other pleasures that can take place. If we're not careful, it'll push God out. And that becomes our idol. That becomes that thing that we worship. So we have to be careful of that. And he's talking about some things here that become works of the flesh if you're not going to put God first. We are, we are free. We, are, we have liberty in Christ Jesus. But if we're not careful, we can lose that. He says, our study of the works of the flesh that we find in, in these three verses uh, are now focused on eight sins. We talked last week about some major ones, right? Fornication, idolatry, right? And, you know, those are the ones that we said that Paul always seems to show at the forefront. You know, those are the ones that so many tend to fall into. You just look into our world, right? How, how people act in our world. It's no longer a big deal just to shack up, right? We know that. It's, it's commonplace. You see that on TV. You see it in our culture. You see it when you talk to people at work. I have colleagues at work, you know. They, they say, well, they're married, but they lived together for 10 years before they were married. You know, they'll tell you that it's like it's no big deal, right? So those things are prominent in our world, prominent in our society. But today we're going to look at a few other works of the flesh that Paul mentions that maybe don't seem such a big deal on the surface. There's eight sins he's going to talk about today that are works of the flesh and that the world might say, ah, that's not a big deal, whoopee. But Paul is very adamant about it. Paul says these eight sins, if you're not careful, they can keep you from entering the kingdom of heaven. Just as much as fornication, idolatry, and those others we talked about last week. You might categorize these as the infractions of that law of love, okay? Remember, we saw the law of liberty. We are under, free, we are free in Christ Jesus with that law of love. No longer the law of Moses. We don't have to keep the law of Moses. We are to follow Christ, and that's because we love him for what he did for us, okay? That's the design. That's the heavenly picture. And if we follow that, we have a sense of heaven here on earth, right? We have that sense. All right, let's read, uh, let's talk about those a little bit. We just read those. Many find it hard to believe that these are really that terrible. And I want to read a section from the outline here. You can follow along here. This is kind of old, but uh, Brother Copeland mentions this from back in 1981. But it's an interesting, interesting um, uh, paragraph here. I'm just going to read it. It says, notice this news clipping that made the front page of the Orlando Sentinel back in January of 81. Under the heading, the Pope widens the sin definition. Interesting headline, right? The Pope did it, you know? Even though it's in the scripture, the Orlando Sentinel said the Pope widened the, you know, the sin definition like it wasn't that way before. Pope John Paul II said today that sins of the flesh are not limited to fornication, orgies and drunkenness and include idolatry, jealousy, envy, and unfriendliness. The Pope made the remarks to his weekly general audience at the Vatican, his forum for the past 14 months on the subject of sex and sin. In his latest discussion of the subject, the Pope cited St. Paul, the first century apostle, as, as if that guy is just some, you know, official from, you know, Russia or something, um, as giving Christianity a very wide definition of sins of the flesh. It is significant that when Paul speaks about the works of the flesh, he mentions not only fornication, impurity, libertinage, drunkenness, and orgies, which are the sins of sensual pleasure, the Pope said, but also speaks of other sins to which we are not accustomed to attribute a carnal and sensual character, idolatry, witchcraft, unfriendliness, discord, jealousy, dissent, divisions, factionalism, 
and envy. The heading made it sound like the Pope is declaring something new, right? The Pope was, oh, I just discovered there's some more sins here that we've got to be watching out for. The world doesn't see it that way, right? The world says, eh, no big deal. But he says, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So, in light of that, in light of the ending of that passage, I think it's pretty important that we talk about what, he, what he's saying here, right? What is said of immorality and drunkenness is also said of these eight sins, right? Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Therefore, it's probably a good idea that we understand what he's talking about here. Well, first of all, these are sins that we said violate the law of love, God's design, right? God's design is he created us. So his design was that he would create man in his image to uh, love him and glorify him on earth, right? just like he's glorified in heaven. And when you think about it, well, we don't know what heaven is like exactly, but we can study some things about uh, that he talks about with the angels and the angelic host, right? And how he's, you know, we, when we did our study of angels, we talked about the cherubim and the seraphim and how he's raised up on the, and he's, he's, he's on the, I, I should have gone back and looked at it, but he's on the vegetable and he's poured, poured it around and you have the angels around him, all that stuff, and everybody is singing and in, and in harmony. And there's no sorrow there, right? It's a wonderful picture of what it's going to be like when we're there. In his design in the world, it's not exactly like heaven, but the design is for us to love him like it is in heaven, right? It's his design that we serve him in the same way. He gave us choice, though, and man decided to transgress that law of love, that design that God had for us and sin came into the world. Because of that, death. Because of that, the world was corrupted and is now dying. It's winding down. Right? These are things that we have to watch out for because of that choice that we had. First of all, hatred or enmity. The Greek word is ekthra meaning hostility or enmity. It describes a state and attitude of mind toward other people which involves barriers between them and you. You're putting up a wall, right? Enmity is the, is the opposite of love. The Greek word for ultimate love is agape, right? We know that. We know about George Agape, that the name. That's, we hear that around here most of the time. The ultimate love. The, love, the, the highest level of love in the Greek, right? That you would... Love someone so much that you would die for them. That's kind of the definition. Agape is that attitude of mind which will now allow itself to be, no one will now will allow itself to be bitter to any man. Always seeking the highest ideals. Always seeking the best for others. That's what we should be doing. That's the kind of love we should have for our brethren. Right? Seeking out the best for them. Not having extra. Not having an attitude which puts up barriers, which draws the sword of division. Not having that idea that when we allow the work of flesh to rule, we can't let the Spirit live properly in our lives. Remember, we house the Spirit. We're the temple of the Spirit. When we have enmity toward each other, the Spirit can't work. The Spirit can't work within us. So, 
this is something that we have to watch out for. Contention, strife, variance, discord. The Greek word is eris. It's an expression of that enmity or hatred. Paul uses this to describe one of the evils that was characteristic of the pagan and pagan world. The strife toward each other, the warring, the actual um, desire to offend or hurt someone, right? It can also describe a condition that can exist in the church. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's read a little bit about what we're talking about here. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Beginning in verse 10. He says, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Paul is warning about this. He's dealing with it in the church in Corinth. He's having them work, he's having them write about it. He's heard that there is strife, there are contentions. People are taking sides that can't be done in the brethren. They, in particular, it can invade a church uh, more often because of the tendency to categorize sins. And we may allow this one to linger and fester, right? Do we have divisions, contentions here at Beaufort? I hope not. I don't think we do. I think when we've had issues, our eldership has tried to deal with it. And perhaps some of you have had to deal with some things. But it can crop up just like that, right? Divisions can occur and we don't even realize it. And we sometimes will let that go. Ah, it's no big deal. It's just difference of opinion. Paul says, be careful. Those are works of the flesh. If you let it go, it cause major issues. How many of you have ever been part of a church that split up? Probably a few of you in your have, yeah? Wasn't a fun time, was it? Was it nice? was pretty ugly probably wasn't it maybe not so much in a public way but privately there was a lot of bad faith between each other right and to this day you probably got some feelings about that that aren't eh, very spiritual see how that can affect you it's not just the church but your spirituality your ability to allow the spirit to work within so that's something we have to worry about. This sin is most destructive of Christian fellowship. We have splits because of it. Christian fellowship, that we're told we are to be one. We're told we are to be together. Careful of these things. Another one, jealousies or emulations. The Greek is zealous, Z-E-L-O-S. Zealous can be either good or bad. We read about in Scripture things that are good when someone is zealous for something. Isaiah 9 and 7, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Or Romans 10, they have a zeal for God. 
It's used to describe an excitement or ardor, a fervor for God. I have a zeal to go out and preach the gospel. I have a zeal to take care of my brethren. And some have that. Especially you can think of someone who's a new Christian, right? They're gung-ho, ready to go. Can't wait to get out and do the work of the Lord. But it can also be something that's bad. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Where actually, you should still be in there. Just turn over to the third chapter there and just see what it says. Chapter 3 and verse 1, he says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you were still not able, for you were still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and division among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Paulus, are you not carnal? Because of jealousies or envy. Interesting, right? 2 Corinthians 12, he says, For I fear lest we be jealous. A fervor of spirit that's misdirected, resulting in a, a, uh, a form of envy and jealousy, can be just as destructive, especially in a church especially between your relationships with your brethren, who you need to be having fellowship with, can cause those divisions. So we have to be careful about jealousies and, zealous, and being zealous for something that's evil. Paul says, be careful because you become carnal. You're back to having to have the milk. We have to be careful about how we react to certain things. We can be jealous of folks in the church. Yeah, it can happen. Um, I don't know. Some people may not like the preacher. Right? Why? Well, don't like the way he's treated. He gets this special treatment. Why should he get it? Or one of the elders. They get their free meals. Why, why do we people take them food? Well, they do a lot of things behind the scenes, right? Well, they're just men. I'm jealous. That's silly. They shouldn't be treated any different than anybody else. Hmm. Not to say that that ever happens, but you can see how that can come about, right? Yeah, we have to be careful of that. We're in this together. And remember, it's not about you. You died to Christ, you are now His. You are now living for Him, not for yourself anymore. And so it's good to be zealous for God because you are now living for Him, but you have to be careful that you're not zealous for yourself, right? Not zealous for just you. Turn over to Romans chapter 13. I want to read a passage from there about this. Romans 13 and verse 11. He says, And do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to wake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent and the day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in the revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh 
to fulfill its lust. That's what I was just saying. We are in him. We are to put him on. It doesn't matter what other people are doing, really. You should be worried about what you're doing for God and helping others. When we let envy creep in because maybe we're jealous of what somebody else is doing, or we think we're doing more and they need to be doing more, or we're envious of someone's position, that affects our ability. It's of the darkness, just like Paul talks about there. Outbursts of wrath, fits of rage. This word describes the blazing of the temperature, temperature, temper, which flows into violent words and deeds. All right? The explosive temper, which is uncontrolled. Have to be careful about that, right? Has anybody in here never lost their temper? Raise your hand if you've never lost your temper. I guess I need to put mine down. It happens, doesn't it? We have moments. We all have kids. Most, I guess most of us have kids, right? Have you ever lost your temper with your kid? No. careful about that though when it comes to our Christian life especially with brethren especially with a weaker brother or sister right they're not doing what I wanted them to do it enrages me I told them to do that last week and it hadn't been done yet turn over to Romans chapter 2 I want to contrast this to something though Romans chapter 2. Now let's begin in verse 4. He says, Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance and long-suffering, and knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of righteous judgment of God who will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who by patient continuance and doing continuance and doing good seek for glory honor and immortality but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness indignation and wrath tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first and also of the Greek but glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and also to Greek. For there is no partiality with God. What I want you to notice there is in verse 8 where he says, Do not obey the truth, but obey righteous, unrighteousness to them indignation and wrath. There is something we might call righteous indignation, right? We have a kind of an example of it when Christ cleansed the temple, right? In other words, there comes a time when perhaps an outburst of anger is good. When it's to stand up against evil. When it's to defend yourself against something that's unrighteous of Satan, of the world. That doesn't mean you got to go out and shout to the mountaintops, you're all going to hell, right? But 
there is a certain level of anger we need to have when it comes to seeing things that are done wrong. Not going and lording over people, but being ready to defend things that we know is right, especially when it comes to this world we live in, where the world says anything goes. There's no right or wrong. There's no absolute truth. You believe in a God. That's silly. I want to compare those two. Again, though, we have to be careful. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. Let's read a couple of verses from there. <clears throat> Ephesians 4, verse 25. He says, Now, therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we're members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole still no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. There's nothing wrong with being angry about something as long as it's not something that's selfish or uh, something that's, I don't know, just ridiculous. There's nothing wrong with being angry about something that's not right, right? You ever been angry with your spouse? No, that's never happened, right? I've heard of it happening. I don't believe it. I think they were lying when they said it. But the verse says, don't let that sun go down on it. You see, as Christians, we can be angry at times. We can be a little bit upset because something's not right and be angry enough to defend that. But we have to be careful about not letting that fester, not letting that continue. And it might mean you've got to reconcile something before the sun goes down, if you know what I mean. All right? You've got to be careful with it. Turn to verse 31 there in chapter 4. He says, there. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. That's pretty powerful two verses right there. You see, we can be angry. We can be upset because maybe somebody did something a little wrong to us that we didn't like. But remember, it don't matter. In the end, does it really matter? Does it really matter when I'm standing there in front of God on the judgment day that somebody did me wrong? All that's going to matter is what you did for Christ. And if you've held a grudge in your heart all those years, hmm, might not be a good thing when you're standing there. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Be forgiving. Always being without malice and kind to one another. It's easy to excuse that though, right? That's well, just the way I am. I'm an Italian. I get hot easy, you know? You know what? I've been in elders meetings for the last 13 years. 
It never gets hot in the elders' meeting. I just lied. But we always have that mantra that we say, well, when we leave here, we go out united. And as long as you can do that, it will take care of everything. Yeah, we don't agree with everything. In fact, we had our, our yearly planning session this weekend, Friday night yesterday, most of the day, we met here at the church, the elders, and the ministry. I'll tell you this. Friday night was not the most fun meeting I've ever had with the elders. Not going to get into it all, but there were some things we had to talk about that wasn't fun. It happens. We have to deal with things. There are differences of opinion. There are things that we talk about that don't sit right with some of us. But in the end, we got to come back together. We got to put aside our differences, perhaps, and remember we are united for our God. Saturday was a great day. Not, not that Friday wasn't a good day. We had some things we had to talk about. Saturday we came back and everything seemed to be good. No, no issues, no animosity. Uh, I don't know, maybe in the back of somebody's mind there might have been, but we were good. Right? Because we know our purpose. We know we are bought with a price. We know our, we have the Spirit with us. We are now living for God. And ultimately, that's what matters more than anything else. Yes, ma'am. What's that? You're what? I'm sorry. Oh, you're Italian? Oh. Well, don't let me ever get in. You, you growled up then. That probably wouldn't be very fun. Debbie says she's Italian. Does that give you an excuse, though? Ah, got you on that one. All right. Yeah, there, you know, that's something that we have to deal with. All of us have times when we just lose it. Especially when you're in traffic, right? <laughs> You've never lost it when somebody cuts you off, have you? Mm, it happens. All right. Spend too much time on that one. Let's move on. Selfish ambition, strife, disputes. The Greek is erethia. The word describes a self-centered attitude in the doing of any work. Like, for instance, you're working, I don't know, solely for money. I'm, that one, I, you know, I'm, I'm not, I don't mean it's not okay to work for money, right? I mean, you need to do that. But when you're working solely for your selfish gain, I guess is what I'm pointing out there, a selfish ambition, not caring about others, not caring about your family maybe, not caring who you step on so you can get ahead. Had to be careful about that. It's used to describe those who are preaching Christ out of jealousy. Turn over to Philippians chapter 1. Beginning in verse 3, he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy for your fellowship of the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think of this to you all, because I have you in my heart, and as much as both in my chains and in the defense of confirmation of the gospel, you are partakers of me with grace. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection 
of Jesus Christ. We are to love God. We are to be together in that. Turn over to verse 15. Some of preach Christ even from envy and strife. And some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition and sincerely supposing to add, and, sincer, and sin, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains. But the latter out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice. Yes, and will rejoice. You can preach the gospel selfishly. Did you know that? You ever known a preacher who was preaching because it put him on a pedestal? Or he was above everybody? You know? Put him in the limelight. It's happened. Maybe not here at Beaver. Hopefully not here at Beaver. I would say it's not happened here at Beaver. But you may have seen that before somewhere else. Think of some of the TV preachers you've seen over your time who are multimillionaires. you got to wonder, what was their ambition? We're talking about something here that can create strife, too. So it's, it's word that describes those who, uh, because of their selfish ambition, perhaps, they create division. They create strife within the body. They create division because of who they are. And it's contrary to the mind of Christ. What else we got here? Dissensions and seditions. This word literally means a standing apart. Okay? Here in Romans, turn over to chapter 16. Let's see what's read there. Chapter 16. And verse 17. Revelation. Get out of Revelation. He says, Now I urge you, brethren, verse 17, Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause division and offenses, contrary to the doctrine which you learned, and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by smooth words and flattering speech, deceive the hearts of the simple. For you, obedience has become known to all. Therefore, I am glad on your behalf, but I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. What are we talking about here? Paul says we should mark those who cause divisiveness. Point them out. Avoid them. Cause dissension. If you were part of a church that split, I would imagine somebody was probably leading some of that, right? Somebody was probably causing a lot of dissension. And maybe you had to split to avoid that. Now, I'm not saying, don't get me wrong, not saying a church should split because someone's causing problems. But it may come to that, right? Because it can affect your life and your ability to serve the Lord. We're talking about personal division. People who refuse to speak to each other. You ever done that? You ever refuse to speak to your spouse? 
No? Yeah. <laughs> Wait, don't let the sun go down in your anger, brother. Has that ever happened in the church? <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's happened here. I can say that for a fact. Elders have had to deal with some issues like that. Not thing, thing that came public or anything, but there are personality issues that sometimes we got to watch out for can cause these problems. Class division. Don't know that we see that really here between rich and poor. I think we're pretty good here about taking care of each other. Doesn't matter where you are affluence-wise. Party division. Don't mean political parties. I'm talking about devotion to a clique. Just like Paul was having to deal with in 1 Corinthians. Some said they were Paul. Some said they were Apollos. You got to be careful about that too. Something that we don't think about sometimes perhaps, but yeah, it happens. It can happen in a congregation very easily. Racial division, of course, that's something that we hear about a lot. I don't know that we've ever had any issues with that here in this congregation. If we do, if we did, I hope it was dealt with. I think we have a pretty good, diverse, we have a very diverse fellowship here. I think we do. And I think I can say for the elders, we have fostered that. We want that. Because we're all part of one blood. We're all part of one faith. We all serve one God. Doesn't matter what race you are, what ethnicity you are, ethnicity. And so we have to watch out for that too. There's theological divisions, which I don't know that we have any issues with that. You could say that has to do with ecclesiastical divisions too, where you have denominationals church division. Don't see that here. Part of the mantra of the Campbell-like movement, you might say, was churches are autonomous. We don't have a national organization. We have local autonomy in each congregation. We have leaders who try to decide things for that congregation, so you don't necessarily see division, right? You see other congregations that may progress to other things eventually, but that's kind of local, right? And here, we can watch out for it, keep that from coming in. Just some things to think about. This sin's committed when we confuse prejudice with principle. Reasonably, it's something that people are just stubborn about. Right? You get your ideas, and you ain't wavering, no matter what else somebody says. One of those issues you've had to watch out for. We're running out of time. Heresies and factions most commonly just denotes a group belonging to a particular school of thought or action. You know, like the Sadducees and the Pharisees. You have to watch out for that. It can happen. You can let things creep in if you're not careful. And finally, envy. William Barclay offers a distinction between the Greek words pathonos and zealous. Zealous is envy which casts a grudging look. Pathonos is envy which causes someone to do someone harm have to watch out for that. And finally, murders. It's not found in all the oldest manuscripts, but he mentions that that simply means murders is obviously not, or goes against the law of love. Anyways, 
wanted to point these out. Remember, it's not just about the biggies like sexual immorality or the Ten Commandments. There's a lot of things that go into that. And we have to be careful of that. All right, we'll continue with our works of the flesh next Sunday. Thanks for being here. Our time is up.